What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Outfielder Podcast, episode 133, presented by Sensibly Loud Media. I am your host, J-Mac, a.k.a. Founder Numero Uno, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Popfly himself, Founder Numero Dos, Ben. There's something to be said about the blacks and the white. Baseball, Ben, what's going on, man? Oh, I hate you so much, J-Mac. Hello, friends. We really should take that one out of the the mix at some point. We were talking about uniform tones. I know. And this was, like, 2017 seems like a much simpler time. It does. But you know know who we definitely get a blast from the past? Uh, Let's see. is Is he going for red or white? It looks like a classic white. Let's see who's on deck. Jimmy, welcome back, sir. Thanks, guys. You know, that, that song just doesn't get old. I was humming it in the shower this morning. That's how excited <laughs> I was to do this show. I'm glad you're back. Thank you. Welcome back. How are things in um, in the five boroughs going? Oh, you know, it's a, it's a mix of things, but obviously I'm, I'm here. It's a baseball show. Pretty excited about, uh, I guess, like, the positive news from last week, which was uh, the the Mets making a pretty big splash, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a little bit. Definitely going to talk about it. That is, it is quite the move. It is quite the time to be a Mets fan, I would say. And honestly, I'd rather kind of be a a Mets fan than a Yankees fan. And I know I'm uh, wearing a Boston uh, hat and sweatshirt, so that's easy to say, but I really do mean that. Uh, in this case, as far as a win loss, you know, upward mobility type of thing goes. Yeah. I'm yeah. It's feel- pretty exciting. I feel like it's going to be Mets versus Padres in the playoffs at some point this year, but Ooh. we'll, we'll definitely get, get more into it. Uh, I do have uh, a brief non sequitur. Um, and I wanted to ask you all, do y'all remember those commercials uh, when in the nineties, it was critically important for the sake of the wildlife that you chop these bad boys up i still like, do it you, mm-hmm. oh I, I still do it as well i just wonder if our entire generation has been traumatized by like fish and turtles caught in this oh and for those on the podcast not the video i'm holding up like a six-pack beer plastic thing yeah um you know i think there was a great ninja turtles psa mm-hmm. where they they told me that basically if i didn't cut these up it's like a fast pass into the foot clan so do y- y'all remember this I oh, do. Sure. Yeah. There's also a Simpsons episode when Mr. Burns uses those to completely sweep the floor of the ocean. So, <laughs> yeah, it kind of leans into that. It's a lot of fish. It's a lot of fish. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's great. So, whenever you guys, let me ask you this whenever you guys cut those up, so Ben, hold that up to the camera again. So, you cut each individual <laughs> ring, right? But see, I always get to the thing where it's like, I feel like you should cut the middle too, right? Dude, you got to cut all of them. Jimmy, you do, what's right? What's your take? Yeah, you would have to cut all of them. Okay, I always have, but I've always felt like some sort of buffoon for some reason, and I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if that's justified. So I'm actually glad this comes up after 33 plus years. Well, I've I've always felt like a buffoon, but but my thing is, you start on one end and you do the straight line, and then you cut to the middle and go down, and then back across. So by the end of it, you just have one string of plastic. Oh, so there's zero gaps for wildlife or Mitch McConnell. Okay, so I, I like, but for me, it's like I just end up with like a handful of different plastic parts somehow. Like I don't have one strong, like straight line. Do I need to like work on this? Yeah, you you got to practice. Um, it'll probably be our next challenge when we all get together. We will um, cut them with scissors. Stages of um mindfulness okay sounds like a blast yeah it does sound like a non-blast um is it one of those all be parties jimmy (laughs) is it one of those uh thing it's one of those things though that it sucks too because if i want to practice i've got to go buy a six-pack which i mean i don't really have a huge problem with that but it is just buying more plastic which is not good for the environment either no man it's uh damned if you do damned if you don't what do you think 
I bet you could buy like a 40 pack of just the, just the loops or whatever, which is really like defeating the purpose, but to, to just to buy that plastic to then cut it up and throw it out. It's, but I bet, I bet you could. It's not the dumbest thing I've purchased this year. That's for I, sure. I kid you not. So in my kid's school every year, they do like a fundraiser and you're supposed to turn in the little soda pop tops. Um, like that, like the tabs to see. Yeah. The little tab. Okay. Yeah. Um, I legit have looked on eBay to just buy like $40 worth of those. And it's about 30 pounds of just these things. So I have not pulled the trigger on those yet because the kids are virtual schooling now. But uh, if they go back and if there's a contest, uh, I, I may try to buy my way a victory. Now, let me ask you this. Have you guys seen the so there's, I guess, a. I don't know if you would call this a moral equivalent or exactly what you would refer this to, but it's the six packs that have like the full tops on them. And so it goes over the top of the can. It's not like the rings, but they're kind of a bitch to pull off. You typically see them in like craft beer. Yeah. What kind of hipster IPA crap is that? I mean, that's exactly what it ends up being <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, they definitely use more plastic to make those things than what they, you know, the, than the traditional rings. But I guess you don't necessarily have to cut them up. Yeah, well, there's no there's no ring for on those for like a fish or a turtle to get its head stuck in. Right. I wonder if those are like more recyclable though. That's, I don't that's know. What I was thinking Could is be. it's probably a made from recycled material instead of you know 38 plastic bags, um, and then you could also probably recycle it afterwards. So another question I have then on this, this is uh, the outfielder uh, podcast recycling edition. This is edition. a baseball podcast, <laughs> I promise. We're just going a little off the rails uh, about on time, actually. Yeah, about seven minutes in. That's usually how this works out. And I feel like we call call that out right around this time as well. My So I know there's this like gigantic trash uh, pile that like floats in the one of the oceans that's like the size of Texas or something like that. And uh, so I, obviously I know this happens and trash gets out into the, you know, to the atmosphere and all that shit. Cause we don't really have anything to do with it. No, like there's, it's it, not flying. It, well, don't even get me started with space trash. Cause that's a whole nother problem. Um, I just wonder though, like how often were those really getting out? Like how, how does, how do you throw that away in your, your, you know, kitchen or whatever, right? Not chopped up. How does that end up making it around some bird's foot? I guess that's always, I guess, just leaving these things on the beach and things like that. Is that what we're talking about here? Well, so for one thing, so I, I recently um, rewatched Mad Men. Okay, me too. And, uh, yes. and fi- I didn't finish it the first time, actually. So finished it. So good. Not the best ending. But um, there's a scene in, I think, like the first season uh, Don gets like a brand new car, probably like a Cadillac or something. Decides, okay, I'm going to take the family to a picnic. They go have exactly, a picnic, yes. And then they just pick up the blanket, leave all the trash on the hill, and walk away. And so I think that like we just had a very long stretch of time where no one picked up trash ever. <laughs> and like- so, and so that led to the you know nin- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles PSA. It was like yeah. that was reacting right. to like the Nixon era. Um, no garbage gets picked up or whatever. Same thing with Dare. Same kind of situation. Reacting mm-hmm. to a problem that we're not don't really understand. No, but like, fighting the last war, if you will. <laughs> right, but like, did we actually just like leave these things? That, like, like it, what did nobody have the thought of like, hey, maybe if we just like leave this in the park, that's going to come back to bite us later? Uh, is it just that we were raised with the awareness, like Dude, as far as like it's always been is, in our purview? This is the generation that like potentially, you know, like nuked someone i mean like mm. that eh, radiation that's future me's problem like that's what they're basically saying okay um you know that's fair we could definitely talk about whether or not truman dropped the bomb to end the war early and to save a land invasion and massive casualties or if he did it to to scare russia and uh start the cold war and that's a dialogue for a podcast that i would love to have but unfortunately we are talking about saving fish in this case, the Marlins and mm. birds like the Blue Jays or the Orioles and the Cardinals. Yes. Tying it back to baseball, MFers. See, my tie back was going to be better than that. Since you said Cold War, I was going to say, uh, speaking of Cold War, how about the Mets trading for Lindor? It's good. Blowing it's it all. Kind of an, ar- an arms race, if you will. 
quite the arms race there in New York awesome. City. Thank you, Jimmy. That <laughs> joke, uh, you should applaud that, Justin. Got it. Go on. <laughs> Outstanding work. Yes, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, so, Ben, do we want to stay on non sequiturs? Uh, but this is more sports tangential, or do we want to go do some baseball talk and come back to it? You tell me. Your, your, your call, buddy. Jimmy, you're the guest. You settle the tie. Let's let's jump into baseball. Okay. Do you want to dr- let's jump into the Lindor trade since we've already transitioned there like twice. Uh, sure. One of the best trades I've seen probably in quite some time. Do you want to break it down for us? Yeah. So the the Mets uh, got Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco for Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, Josh Wolf, and Isaiah Green. I have not heard of Josh Wolf or Isaiah Green. Um, and Ahmed Rosario, despite being uh, like the top prospect in baseball three, four years ago, uh, has not really put it together. Um, Jimenez was really good last year in his first, first season with the Mets. So he's, I think, a pretty talented player. But to trade those four in exchange for, you know, arguably the best shortstop in baseball and a really good uh, starting pitcher is uh like what a steal really just a a shocking trade i don't know i'm i'm baffled so let me ask you this to start then what so let's let's examine this from both sides so uh the mets get francisco lindor and carrasco i i didn't even honestly hear the Carra- uh, carlos carrasco part until earlier today when i was looking at this trade. oh wow for i don't know what how i missed that part of it um so i was surprised by that um Tell me, like, so what is Lindor's situation? Like, is he up for a new deal coming up this year? Is he a rental player for the Mets, or what do we, what do we got there? I, I don't have it immediately in front of me, but I think he has one year left on his contract. Okay. Um, but I think that, like, we're also entering into a new era of Mets ownership where they would be inclined to, to lock him down. So I guess it'll be interesting to see, do they – do they play out the year and just kind of see how it goes and then negotiate? Or do they try to, you know, extend him now and not risk him getting to free agency? I think either way, um, I would be pretty confident in uh, our new richest owner in baseball um, make, making the, the plunge and trying to lock him up long term. That's, that's where I was kind of wondering is this seems a little out of character so it's just a further reminder that there is a new ownership group and just what all that could mean for the Mets as an organization uh, and as as a franchise because this is the type of thing that you do if a you want to make your ball club better like first things first that's that's the thing but also this is kind of like a power move where you're trying to show the rest of baseball like oh we're here you you know because I don't know who else was was interested in Lindor but you got to imagine there was a decent market for him. Yeah, it sounded like the the Blue Jays were the runners up um, in this one. And I know that uh, Yankee fans kind of thought that like Lindor would just be handed to them on a silver platter because that's how they expect it to, to work. Um, and that, that clearly didn't happen. So um, I guess a couple of AL East teams going after them, but um, that's pulled it out. So he's a $19.5 million this year and that he's a unrestricted free agent after so you're you're dead on uh one thing yeah. i'd like to to point out uh and it's just very important that this is kind of emphasized it's not a new ownership group it's one guy with that kind of money right well yeah well it's, so it's uh i think so he is the he's the majority owner like he he calls the shots I think there are some guys like I think even the Wilpons still have a minority stake, oh, but they don't that's have right. they don't they don't have any say. Yeah. So like it's just whatever whatever Uncle Stevie wants, he gets. <laughs> I think is is the official. Um, I think that's the legal terminology that's that's uh, on everyone's uh, ownership contract. Got it. I just uh, I think he I, I think that can't be underscored enough <clears throat> because he's the one making these moves versus what they've had before, which is definitely not that. Yeah, I mean, basically, like, prior to this year, um, A, the, the Mets probably wouldn't have made the deal in the first place because $19.5 million is a lot of money um, for them to, to take on. 
And then they certainly wouldn't have been in contention to sign him. They probably would have just traded him midseason for even less than they traded him for. It's like, it's really just this. I can't really describe just how different all this is. And also, like, I mean, last year, last week was like a pretty busy week, but at least they like did this trade the day after the coup. Like last, you know, the previous ownership would have made this trade like mid coup and just like lost any potential for like no. good press. No, no, no. The, um, the, so. the trade would have happened during the coup. Yeah. 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 It's really where it's at. No, that that's a good point because they did have a really unique ability to shoot themselves in the foot. Like I can't underscore enough. We talked about it on the show. I don't think you were here. Uh, for this one, when Brody got caught on camera talking about undermining the whole organization. And it's just like, how does this happen? How does this happen? Yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, but I also think this is, and you guys have kind of touched on it too. I think this is a trade you make if you only if you know that you're going to sign him to a long-term deal. I mean, honestly, I think that like for how little they gave up, they probably could you could justify it as a rental like they really gave up so little like yeah i don't think any of the guys like the guys who i hadn't heard of i don't think they were you know elite prospects i don't think we have many elite prospects in the next farm <laughs> system to begin with um but like i think you would trade jimenez and rosario straight up for lindor for a season especially because i mean the rest of the team is is pretty good. Like, I think this, this team could make a run this year. And so I think even as a, even as a rental, it makes sense, but I'm pretty sure that they'll, they'll try to lock him up long-term. So that was going to be my, my question because full disclosure, um, grounds crew, people may know that I sometimes don't follow baseball as closely as someone, uh, probably should who has a baseball podcast, but Jimmy, yeah, thank you. But (laughs) 4,000 episodes in. No, um, but because we do have have Jimmy on here, I, I do want to ask, how does this fit into any other moves that the Mets have made this offseason? I guess, have they made any other notable moves? Because there was a, a hot minute last year where the Mets were borderline competitive. So, like, how does this help them get over that hump? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the, the Mets have, uh, have made some moves. They signed um, Trevor May at the start of the offseason, reliever from the Twins uh, to help bolster the bullpen. Um, and they added James McCann, who was the catcher for the White Sox, um, and probably like probably the second-best catcher on the market behind uh, what's his face, um, Real Muto, um, who, who wanted like, you know, five years and $400 million or, or something. Like, uh, Me too. So I think, so yeah. Um, so, so prior to this trade, the moves they had made had been like kind of small and maybe on the margins, but like useful moves. Like they needed to shore up catcher. They need the bullpen being as bad as it was, was really one of the big culprits in them not making the playoffs last year. Uh, And then they also brought back Marcus Stroman um, who quit at the start of the season for COVID, but really was just fed up with mess, I think. And, um, and so like, it was nice to bring him back. So, so now with the addition of Carrasco, the rotation is uh, Degrom. Let's say Carrasco, Stroman, Cindergaard when he comes back from Tommy John, and then David Peterson, who was one of their top prospects who came up last year and had a good a good season. Um, and then they can move Lugo back to the bullpen. So the rotation is in is in pretty good shape. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask because. I had forgotten completely about Syndergaard, which I shouldn't have because he's only on my freaking fantasy team, and I benched him the entire year as a result of Tommy John, but I didn't want to give him up. Uh, when is he slotted to come back? Are they saying, you know? They think summer, I think is what I've heard. So, I mean, he wouldn't open the season with them, but uh, but he would be you know, expected back kind of probably by the middle of the year. I have a question. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, in context, I guess, uh, whatever the fuck my team's plan is, uh, is completely besides the point in this question. But what the hell is Dylan Batances doing on the Mets? Well, they signed him last off season, uh, thinking like, oh, here's you know, guy who grew up in uh, he grew up in Brooklyn, but on the part of Brooklyn that's next to Queens, right? Um, and uh, he was good for the Yankees for most of the time. So they're like, oh, let's add a. A, a reliever and then he just I don't know he was hurt this year he wasn't that good when he was around um so I think 
you know, you can't really, uh, you can't really, um, bank on him too much, I suppose, but I don't know. It was a worthwhile gamble in my mind. He's like, you know, still really good, but he's probably, I guess he's probably not really good anymore. Yeah. I mean, if you can get like, you know, 10 pitches out of him or something like that, you're probably all right. Is he better or worse than Bartolo Colon? Oh, you, you be careful talking, talking ill. of. I'm not talking ill. I'm not talking ill about it because he's fantastic. I'm wondering though, who would be better or worse? Like Colon age 52 or whatever he is. Well, Bartolo Colon is, yeah. Jim. I don't know, guys, like, just just bringing up the chance to bring back Bartolo and get that magic. Like, I would I would roll the dice on a 52-year-old Bartolo just throwing, throwing 83-mile-an-hour melons at the plate. Like, I think I think he'd somehow get by on, on Guile and Moxie. People are, like, weirdly intimidated Gumption. by that guy. Like, people are weirdly intimidated by that guy, but I'll say this, it has... It, it, you know, it's it's an impressive thing to play as long as you did in Major League Baseball and just live in America and never learn English at all, like none. And he yeah. just is ne- like that. Almost takes trying the other way. You know what I mean? And it really it says a lot about like how likable he was because like he did steroids in the middle of the steroid era. Sure did. Um, got caught. Um, he has, he has a whole second family that we found out about like toward the end of his career. Mm-hmm. So he's got like a lot of stuff where he's, he'd probably, you know, look twice, but you know, it's Bartolo. Yeah. So everyone's so, just like, yeah, whatever. I looked it up. He's, he's 47. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. last pitch in last what, 18. Te- yeah. Last pitched 18 here in Texas, which is likely the main reason I knew his name. Um, no, he played for like half the other teams in the league. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Cleveland, uh, oh Montreal, Montreal. the yep. White yep. Sox, Anaheim, Boston, the White Yankees. Sox again, the Yankees, Oakland, the Mets, Atlanta, Minnesota, and then Texas. <laughs> That's awesome! Good list. Run. Awesome list. Good gracious. Oh, good time. And, and like, it feels like every time you went to another stop, it was like another phase of his career that was just slightly different than the other. Really impressive. That's yeah. that's the kind of career you want. Like you, yeah, just leave right whenever it gets interesting and uh, go on to greener pastures. Just kind of like the the David Bowie of baseball, reinventing himself <laughs> repeatedly over time. Can you imagine Bartolo with like the Ziggy Stardust lightning bolt on his oh, face God, as he no. saunters up to the to the mound with what'd you say, Jimmy Moxie and Kazaz <laughs> Guile. Guile, there you go. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. That's good <clears throat> stuff. Well, how does this work out for the Cleveland baseball team? I think not great. I think that I think that uh, I think this had to have been you know financially motivated that they've they've kind of been very direct that they don't want to pay any of these guys long term, and um, they probably just had to you know do a fire sale. So I think I think they're they're basically back to, you know, I mean, they, they still have like a young talented team, but they're, you know, trying to retool on the fly. And I guess we'll see. If I were to give you a shot at who owns the Cleveland baseball team, what do you think you'd be able to pull that one out? Is it Larry Dolan? Yeah. <laughs> Brother. I know that's James the, Dolan. That's the thing. I, the only reason I know that is because of how much, uh, I I know James Dolan, who owns the Knicks, um, who have been horrible for most of my life. The Knicks and, and the uh, Rangers, both. He owns yeah, the once Rangers. you're indoctrinated into the bad ownership club, you keep track of, of where they go. Yeah. It's so funny you mentioned that. Yesterday we were watching a kid's movie, uh, Soul, on a uh, new Pixar movie, and they totally slammed the Knicks in there, and it was incredible. I was not expecting it, and it amused me. Well, it turns out that the the creator of Soul is a Knicks fan. He was like, "I get to do this. I get to rip on the Knicks." Good, good for him. I can make change happen. It's an astounding thing, and and I've actually talked about this on this show before too. Because um, so James Dolan is just an atrocious basketball owner. I mean, he just has no idea what's going on, and like 
makes all these decisions that are just absolutely absurd all the time. And, but he owns like, you know, like the, his, like basically his dad left him the team. And so, and, and all the real estate that comes along with the team. So he owns the sports network affiliated with the Knicks and he owns Madison square garden right in the middle of Manhattan. So like, it's a lot of valuation for these leagues for him to be, you know, involved or whatever. And he, he's just absolutely terrible. And like, I, I really think that there should be a rule in all of sports, like every sports league. And I get why they wouldn't ever do this, but there should be a rule where if in a 10 year span, if you don't make the playoffs once you should be forced to sell your ownership share of the t- or your ownership of the team one time to me, to, to anybody, <laughs> but particularly to us. Um, but I really think that that would benefit all these leagues that, you know, really just want to have own teams, but not really put any money into them and just have them for the investment because they age better. It takes a lot of that greed portion out. It forces you to have to actually make the right hires or put the right things in place. And if you make it once in 10 years, reset, that's fine. But you know, you got to be realistic about the time frame. Um, anyway, I just find it funny that. You have a baseball team that's trying to save money, which is exactly what the Knicks do all the time, uh, and, and trade you know good good talent. I mean, they've had a, a championship caliber team for a while now, and a championship caliber manager. Aside from the fact that he didn't manage it all last year, so but you know COVID, all that. Don't blame him, Tito Fricono. So, so not to not to reset a little bit. Can we formally say then that? straight up Cleveland is is burning it down because at the end of last year we kept teetering around like yeah. it feels like they're gonna do they have enough of the legacy pieces from their from their run in 16 or 17 but I mean it, it feels like yeah that they've they've pushed their chips excuse me they haven't even they've taken their chips off the table and they're going to find a new table right I think so I I I think that they started that process by trading Trevor Bauer and uh, all of that last year. So I think that that was probably the goal for quite some time. And I don't, it just didn't seem like that, that team was constructed properly at the end of the day. Sadly, it's a good, it's, it's a lot of good pieces. I would take Michael Brantley in Boston in a heartbeat. Really good player. Any other thoughts on what this does for Cleveland, Jimmy? I mean, you know, it's. I, I will say though, I just like. I think that Jimenez is a really solid player, and I think it could end up being that they decide to slot him in at shortstop instead of Rosario because the Mets kind of tinkered with that over the course of last season too. So, you know, I mean, if if they can get a young, good shortstop under team control for a few years, maybe maybe Rosario or Jimenez is a piece of their puzzle when um, the next time they they make a run. And I mean, it is smart to, I mean, you know, try to pick up at least a few pieces for, you know, somebody who's probably not going to re-sign there anyway, or you're not interested in signing that deal. So I understand that side of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, only when it doesn't affect me, though. So, you know. <laughs> or there's the the trade bait aspect, where if you do end up doubled up in shortstop or any position, hey, that's fine, because we got one player for a song, you know, we can definitely flip them to build out, you know, oh, the second baseman's on the market or whomever. Players love that strategy. Let me tell you. <laughs> hey, just move your family. For, because you're going to move again anyway. <laughs> In a pandemic. In a Hope pandemic. you didn't unpack. Jesus, dude. Yeah, it's a hell of a trade, though. It's a game changer for this team. and It's aggression, it's aggression and it's finest there. I mean, they have the third highest payroll in baseball, so it better work. Wow, that was fast. Yeah. You had nineteen point five million to it, though, and I mean, you look at—I mean—the monster deals that Degrom and Syndergaard have to be under. I mean, it's just what you pay. Syndergaard's not under anything gigantic yet. I know okay. that going into this offseason, the thought was that they could spend maybe like sixty million um, and still be under the, the luxury tax. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the move so far, this was the biggest one, but you know, they're still they're still in the hunt for maybe for George Springer and that would be a big deal if they pulled that off so I guess we'll we'll keep an ear out for that but they, they might not be done this offseason with with big moves George Springer's very much said he's not going back to Houston so yeah can't say I heard he's from Connecticut Twitter. oh there you go hmm I know he's not coming to Boston so there is that not to bring it back to that but I will because uh, I'm bitter um 
So what are the other big additions out there? Because there was another big trade in the last two weeks, right? Uh, what do we have? Uh, was it the... Wasn't there another Padres one since last time we've recorded? I don't think since last time we recorded, no. Oh, okay. Um, so big, big uh, free agents left out on the market right now is Trevor Bauer. Uh, Trevor Bauer, former Cy Young winner. Uh, I don't know what his price tag would be. I he doesn't he's not a money guy. He's looking to go win somewhere. Uh, he actually did a YouTube video that was like 15 minutes long. I was gonna chop up some audio for from it to for the show, but I wasn't gonna listen to 15 minutes of why Trevor Bauer is gonna probably choose wherever. You know, that's really not that big of, of a deal. Um, but it will be interesting to see what he gets because of his. I don't know, just overall success that's kind of been happening continually. A lot of people think he's like looking in like the four year range, like 130 million, something like that. I think you probably, yeah, do he's that. one of those, one of those guys who's like, you know, I want to bet on myself. So I'll take a shorter contract for more, you know, annual value um, and see if I can get another one of those in a few years. He's also the guy who like, He'll put, you know, whatever his salary is plus like sixty nine cents, just to be a real, a real jokester. Um, <laughs> He's a funny so, guy. So that's really what we're dealing with. Got it. <laughs> He's a funny guy. Um, you have JT Realmuto. You brought him up a little bit ago. I mean, he's looking for like five years, one hundred and twenty five. He probably gets that though, right? Maybe. Well, I, you know, I think that like, I think in a normal year. Maybe I mean the thing is like a he's a catcher. Yep. Catchers don't usually age all that well. They're not they're not like wine, I guess. Um, and uh, you know their knees go bad and whatever. Uh, so Sour grapes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other thing is that like I don't know how many teams are. I mean maybe if it was a backloaded deal, like I think that teams are worried about spending a bunch of money this upcoming season if they can't have full crowds and um you know all the concessions and all that poor poor owners <laughs> their pocketbooks yeah. are hurting uh i think it's absurd that he wants the same kind of money that that uh, george springer wants i that i think that's a pipe dream i bet you he ends up signing like a two-year deal that'd be a brutal miscalculation to like hold out i mean because like I mean, the Mets were the Mets were looking at him, and they were pretty, like they were pretty. They gave they gave McCann a four year deal, but not that much. I think it was like four years, forty million, something like that. Yeah, I believe that's right. Um, so you know, Real Muto wanted way more than that, but I don't know. It's like it would it would really suck if you had you know a big market team on the hook, and then you you held out, and then end up just getting like a pillow contract for another year or two down the road especially as a catcher because like if your knees go out next year then you're you're done you're not getting that big deal after that and are we getting almost okay i was gonna say you almost want to go with the longer deal even if it's slightly less just so you have a little bit more of a not that any of it's guaranteed but like so you have a little bit more of a a longer run from it yeah yeah and the thing is so are, are we getting a uh a universal dh again this year or do we know I don't think we know yet. It hasn't been announced formally. Uh, it's yeah. just like when they were talking about last month, are they going to push back the start date again? Because mm-hmm. they even, it was like two days after we recorded saying, oh, they have to start in March. Of course they will. It's all about the money. Then they're like, hey, we may start in May. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Jay Mack and I were over here looking like idiots, but they'll start what in March. we do. I stand by it. I still think they'll start in March. Pretty, I'm definitely, yeah. like, I'm someone who, was not that in favor originally of like losing the DH in the NL. Cause I like to watch pitchers who bat Oh 90 try to, Why? I don't, it's, not, Why? it's not really it's like it's masochistic. I really shouldn't like that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but the Mets, I have a bunch of guys who can't play the field that well. So like the DH is really good. Um, selfishly for the team I root for. So I do hope that they bring it back this year and allow us to have Dom Smith and Pete Alonzo in the lineup all the time. Well, in that case, do we think that any of these moves 
maybe kind of waiting to see what the next year or two is going to look like from a rule book because you take a player like we mentioned earlier, George Springer, you know, maybe he's more inclined to go to an NL club depending on the DH rules. You know who's exactly a, the perfect example of that that's the next free agent on the list is Marcelo Zuna. He is praying that the universal DH happens because he's the perfect type of player for that. He's almost like a Dustin Pedroia type player where he's just scrappy, but he's he makes it happen a lot more often than you'd think he would. So it's a good thing. Uh, DJ LeMay, he was another one that's out there. I mean, he's looking for like four years, 70 or like 68 million, something like that. Absolutely not. I, I like DJ LeMay a lot, but I would not pay him that. It's just not worth it. Last for the Yankees. Agree. Right? Yeah. Agree. Okay. Uh, Didi Gregorius, Marashio Tanaka. I'm surprised that Tanaka is a free agent, to be honest. I'm surprised they didn't figure something out with the Yankees. Is, is there any talk of like what he's looking for? Uh, something like three years, probably $39 million is usually right around that, that range. That's probably worth doing. He's already had Tommy yeah, Johns, though. That's a little bit. He's 32. That's tough for a starting pitcher. I would have thought he was way older for some reason. He just strikes me as like a wily veteran. Yeah. But 32 is young. Young, but and for a three-year deal, yeah, that's fine. I wouldn't go any more than that. Yeah. And I wouldn't go any more than $40 million. And then I'm, I'm 32. Yeah. Would you pay me that? No. Uh, I don't have that to pay you, pal. A <laughs> um, few other names you got. Joe, Jake or... Uh, Look, I can't talk. Jake Odorizzi, Liam Hendricks, Michael Brantley, all free agents out there to be a lot of relief pitchers and a lot of guys that are going to depend on DH in this list is kind of what it seems like. Yeah, and I think for a lot of those pitchers, like they they were kind of waiting for you know the the shoe to fall with say like Trevor Bauer because a team that might be considering Bauer but loses out on him might want to pick up, you know, one or two of these guys uh, and, and roll the dice. But, you know, that that just isn't going to happen until Bauer is off the market. Yeah, got to really set the, the price there because that's really what that comes down to. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's free agency talk. That's where we are as far as things go. We've got a little bit of time on uh, on season specifics and all that before we find out that stuff. I think they're... I don't know if they moved the winter meetings back or if they technically already just did the winter meetings. And that's when all the trades happen. Uh, but usually that's kind of when they hammer that stuff out. But I think there's a lot of wait and see kind of what we talked about before uh, going on right here. And I mean, maybe I mean, maybe that will prevent it from starting in March. But I just I mean, the longer you can go, the better as far as trying to to recapture some revenue, if anything, I would think. I think where it really boils down to is. And I, you know, I have to tell myself this every day before I get on it. This is not a political podcast, but <laughs> we don't know what the next few months are going to look like from a how politics will influence COVID. Yeah. You know, there are some people out there that think that when an administration changes, we could be looking at different types of lockdowns and different rules, mm -hmm. you know, closer to how we were last March or last April than That's how we point. have been. And so there's a very good chance that any of those you know, the end of January into February, that's going to be where, where they have to make it up. And especially with the way that the miners have been reshuffled, I would put money on the fact, I don't bet, but I would put money on the fact that, uh, that spring training is going to look very different this year anyway, even without COVID. Mm -hmm. So I think that just the whole thing, it's, uh, it's uncharted territory. Once again, we find ourselves in uncharted territory. It's very true. It's a very good point. And I, 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 that is a good point to, that I haven't really even considered as much as just what the restrictions and things like that are going to look like for sports because we just don't know what that looks like now. Um, I do wonder, though, like, are you looking at so like when we're looking at the like the context of the season, like, are, are they going to consider like as you as we kind of go on, are we going to continue to look at like a bubble type situation like we did for the playoffs? Because that seemed to work really well. Are we still going to be condensing schedule a little bit? And I know we did a lot of that to get to a 60-game schedule, but are we going to kind of try to – like I thought one of the things that they did really well last year was that they minimized the amount of travel. So you didn't have these like super long um, 
you know, road trips and things like that. You had, uh, like, uh, we'll talk about uh, some schedule stuff here in a second, but um, there's this, like, there was a thing last year, like, Jimmy, where Boston started the year playing the Mets, and then the Mets played Boston. They did the home-and-home thing pretty quickly and got it out of there fast. They did a lot of maximizing things like that, and I really hope that they kind of adhere to some of that, uh, aside from the pandemic side of it, but just for some of the, the players' sake of travel and whatnot. Didn't we, I think we, I can't remember if we ran, if we looked at this on this show, but uh, isn't it like teams from the East Coast travel like 40% more or something like that or the West Coast? I can't remember. Teams, uh, well, I don't know if it's if it's the full coast, but I know that the Mariners travel more than any other team. That's to right. get from Seattle to anywhere is just a lot more effort. Right. Okay. Interesting. So it'll be interesting to see how that shapes up too. So. All right, so uh, it has been a weird time lately, and I felt like we could all use a little bit of levity on this show. Ben, what do you think about levity? Are you a levity fan? I am such a fan of uh, of levity. I think the dad and the son both do a really good job in Schitt's Creek. <laughs> Levy, levity, well, pretty close. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, great show, though, plug. Um, there's a... A thing that Jimmy and I kind of share in common, and that's uh, we 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 love making fun of like uh, I don't know, like I guess radio in general a lot because like it's a dying thing that doesn't really know that it's dying. Like radio, like sports talk show hosting, for example, uh, they don't really understand that nobody listens to that anymore. Like nobody like gets outraged about the, you know, the Rangers on a on a, you know, a Tuesday morning after they dropped a set over the weekend or a Monday morning after they dropped a set over the weekend to the, you know, to the A. It's just it, like it's just not as much of a thing with the internet as it used to be. Would you agree or disagree, Ben? Absolutely agree. Okay. So, um that being said, so this is something we've always talked about. So we send clips to each other here and there of these things they're just like my God, you guys just don't get it, okay? And one of our favorites, and I'll let Jimmy kind of give a little setup here too, uh, one of our favorite guys is uh, Mike Francesa. Now, Ben, are you familiar with Mike Francesa? So that is a name I've heard, and I believe it's because one of our local radio stations around here um, definitely have, like, tried to pick fights with this dude before. Yes. Okay. Um, do, do this. Tell me what you know. Is that is that the extent of what you know about Mike Francesa? I think so. Okay, that's fine. Jimmy, won't you break down what you know about Mike Francesa? So, so his his, his nickname is the Sports Pope, um, and because um, he because you know he he makes his decree, and then that's what the opinion is uh, forever. Um, he has been on like the New York sports radio scene since like the early eighties mid eighties, early eighties. Um, and I used to listen to him all the time, basically from like middle school through to like early college. Like I listened to a lot of Mike Francesa cause he would just do a show Monday through Friday, like one o'clock to six thirty. He was just on there. And now the thing is, and this is what we're going to get to is if you're going to fill that many hours of airtime, you're going to have some real garbage in there. Just, yeah. Some, some real, some real filler, uh, but his filler was always just so captivating, and he's developed like a, a really cult following um, in like the the sports uh, New York sports scene. Like just people, there, there was actually a, a few years ago they did. Um, have you heard of SantaCon? Yeah, which is like a, a bar crawl. Everyone's dressed up like Santa, and they're idiots. Um, there was a FrancesaCon a few years back. Where people dressed up as Francesa. Were you um, there? I was not. I was not, thankfully. He was out of town um, that weekend. But, yeah, I was, I, was, I, I was occupied. Um, but uh, he is just, um, he is extremely confident in himself and usually completely unprepared yeah. for whatever the topic is. And as he's aged, his unpreparedness has become maybe more uh, noticeable. I guess I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Would you say that that type of personality um, is a lot of white male boomers? Yes. 
Yeah, sure. I think he is definitely like the uh, the avatar of, of that. Yeah, yeah, I think that works. So I would go a step further and say that he was somewhat of a radio pioneer. Like when I think about like guys on the Mount Rushmore of just like who like really, really push things forward in the radio game. It's like um, Howard Stern, uh, Mike Francesa. Um, yeah, they're, they're just, there are a lot of people that are like, uh, only, I should say this, only a few people on that tier that like revolutionized like radio in general. Like Mike and the Mad Dog was something I knew about. I didn't live in New York, so like I never really listened to him. So I never came into Francesa until later on. And for me, it's always been the just the wacky shit that he says and then just like digs in, digs in and will not let it go. Like, uh, for instance, Jimmy and I've talked about this many times before, but there was an episode or an episode. Uh, there was a show where uh, whatever Mariano Rivera got into the Hall of Fame and he was the first. Uh, was he the first black guy that was not uh, unanimously put in the Hall of Fame? He was right. So. I'm pretty sure that's right. I think, just, yeah, I think he was just the first unanimous uh, Hall of Fame inductee. Okay. Any of them, yeah. Okay. Any any player. Regardless, they were talking about that, and, and uh, they started talking about Jackie Robinson and how like he you know was probably discriminated against, and so he wasn't unanimously put in, even though like we all know about Jackie Robinson. And Francesa was having none of that argument. None of it. He's like, oh, they're not discriminating against because he's black. And it's like, well, I mean, they probably were given the time. Like, I mean, come on. Like, let's be realistic. Let's not just pretend like it didn't happen. I mean, he was having none of that. Anyway, so lots of things like that where sometimes you're just like, oh, my God. Right. And yeah. so the thing was he like retired and then he came back. The comeback was a mistake to say the least. And okay. because like he really like <laughs> you can tell in a lot of the filler that he does and the that and now he doesn't do the six he didn't do the 6 hour long long shows uh when he came back, but he ha still did a whole lot uh including a podcast and a bunch of other stuff. And so uh like the guy's a worker. And ha Jimmy, do you know how old Francesca is now? He's got to be like close to 80, right? Yeah, I mean he's probably mid 70s. I would think he was born in like the mid to late 40s. Probably something like that, yeah. Um, anyway, he has a lot of embarrassing moments out there. He's been known to fart on the air. And the best part about that is the fact that he goes and addresses it the next day. He won't, like, just, like, you know, be like, oh, those guys on Twitter are just, like, saying whatever. He goes and, like, like defends himself. And it's like, dude, that makes it sound like, it's like you're guilty. Like, stop it, you know? And so all that setup to tell you. I, I saved this audio for a while and I've been waiting for a good place to play it. And I feel like Jimmy had to be here when we do it. And it is one of my favorite clips. And uh, it's a great example of like filler audio. Now we're all known to do that. We do that on this show all the time. Like I tell Ben, I tell you and Sam all the time, talk amongst yourselves while I look up something or another. And we do that, right? Um, this is the type of thing that you get though whenever you're just trying to make things happen for a long period of time, okay? So this happened just before the short season started this summer, okay? It's a little bit old, but really worth it. Are you ready, Ben? So ready. So this was hot news off the press. Uh, Francesa decided to go over what the Mets schedule was going to look like, okay? I'm going to play you the audio. Are you ready for this? Yes. All right. Baseball uh, schedule. Here's the Mets schedule. All righty. Uh, 24 to 26 Atlanta. Then the Red Sox. Then at the Red Sox. Then home Red Sox. Then at the Braves. Then at the Nationals. Then off. Then Marlins home. Nationals home. At the Phillies. At the Marlins. Uh, home to the Yankees. Off. Marlins oh at the Yankees, August 31st off. At the Orioles, off. Phillies, Orioles home, September 10th off. At the Blue Jays, September 14th off. At the Phillies, Braves, Tampa, at the Nationals. 
So that's what the Medoff days are the following uh, August 6, August 24, August 31, August uh, September 3, September 10, September 14. The season ends the 27th of September. <laughs> Begins on the 24th at home against Atlanta. Uh, and the, if, right, then the, after they play Atlanta three games, they will be in Boston. Where and then home producer? to the Red Sox. So they will go Atlanta, Boston, Boston, Atlanta. All right. So <laughs> I just want to see the guy that's sitting, you know, in traffic being like, fuck, what did he say about the, the third week in August? <laughs> you know, like, who, who takes information in like that, right? Right. I'm, so the, make, go ahead. Well, the thing about it, well, actually, first, I want to hear Ben's reaction before I give, give mine. So this is the first time I've ever heard him. And number one, he sounds exactly like I pictured. Like, he is 100% who I thought he would be. Yep. That being said, I could see some sort of weird universe where he's like, okay, this is a tradition that we've been doing in radio since pre-internet where I tell my listeners, get a calendar, and I'm going to tell you day by day exactly what the Mets schedule looks like. And it's like a tradition. And even though sure. the internet's there, they're like, oh, we'll still let Grandpa Mike do it. He likes it. Whatever. Just because it's a tradition doesn't mean you should do it. <laughs> so that's that's my like my initial takeaway on it. And I'm wondering, like like I said during, I thought it was over. Uh, but like, where's the producer like, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this today, Mike. Maybe we could think of any other thing than you just reading a calendar to your devoted following. Um, so that's, that's my first, you know, fresh take first, okay. first draft, Jimmy. So you're saying that wasn't hard hitting analysis. I, okay. I got, I got very little, um, analysis from that. No, let me ask you this. Let me, let me add a little bit to it. Can I go for it? Can I give you some, like, let me see if this, this satisfies Ben's analysis, uh, itch. How about that? Do it. Here's another clip. Was this Yankees? All right, here's the here's excuse me. Here's the Yankees. Okay. Again. Um at Washington, at Philly, home Philly, home Red Sox, at Orioles, at Rays, home Braves, Red Sox, Rays, at the Mets, at the Braves, home Mets, home Rays, at the O's, at the Jays, home Orioles, home Jays. At the Red Sox, God. at the Jays, they close with three against the Marlins at home. Off days for the Yankees. August 10, August 14, August 24, August 27, September 3, September 14. I think it's worth just pausing here. I have no idea why, when he decides to read the off days, he just goes with the number and not the, like... It's not September 3rd, it's September 3, August 10. Like, and he's been doing that forever, but like not consistently. That's the, that's the thing that's so weird about it is yeah. like, why would you be inconsistent about that? He's like, he's, he's, he doesn't have time to say the rest of the letters, even though they're the same number of syllables. Like, man, this guy, like, I once listened to him, like, he broke down like one of the burgers at City Field. Because um, there's Shake. I don't know if you guys know Shake Shack. I don't know how wide wide oh, they yeah. are across the country, but um, he was trying to analyze like what made the Shake Shack burger so good. He decided it was a bone, um, but like people will listen to this guy do that stuff and hang on every single word. It's incredible. I don't know what else to say. It, so I'm I'm picturing then him like. So you get the paper wrapper and you you set it down in your lap because you're at the ballpark and you want I don't know why you turned into Bernie Sanders impression there but but bear with me it's pretty close and and then you get it grilled and it's it's just a little pink in the middle but it's not too pink and it's just the right amount of pink okay all right I'm it, with you it, except yeah. he doesn't really have that need to like defend himself in any way other than when he like rips ass on the air that's like the only time he ever really like defends anything that he does. Well, which the is thing funny. is that, like, prior to him retiring the first time, he was the number one sports radio host in New York for 30 years. 
like he was always number one. His nickname was number one. And so uh, like if you're always at the top, you don't need to defend any of your nonsense. Um, and now it's, you know, it's like people have kind of gotten over him, I would say. Yeah. But you know, for that stretch, he like never felt compelled to change anything because it seemed like you? it was working yeah why would you and that's the funny thing to me about it is that he has not changed at all it's just everything else sort of changed around him and and that's sort of it, it just it puts it all on display and like he tried to he tried to do a political podcast that was like 30 it was like a podcast that was half sports half politics that the 30 minute market just changed over it was so bad it was so bad we're going to have to play more audio of Mike Frances on this show, Ben, because it's really hard for you to, to understand the gratitude of how big the fall was for this guy. Yeah. I, so we'll have to see what else we can find from, from the archives. Cause back in like, I want to say 2011 or 2012, he started to like announce that he was working on something big. It was going to be revolutionary, new oh, technology, yeah. going to be really innovative and then, like, it took him a couple years to finally get it together. And then all he came up with was basically Twitter. Like, he didn't come up with something new. And then it didn't, he didn't build it, obviously. It never got done. But, like, he is just – another thing that he does, and I wonder if we could find good audio of this sometime, he will watch a game live while he's hosting the radio show and then – kind of do play play by play of the game that he's watching on TV, but not enough that you can really follow what's going on. So and he'll bad. do that for a quarter. Like yeah. he'll, 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 he, the guy just has to fill airtime yeah. and he'll do it any way he can. So the, the reason that I got a little cringed out there is because this show has done that. Mm -hmm. So like no one judged that too terribly. Yeah. Um, but the thing is like, we put on like a full show while we do it and we're not like sidetracked by the game. Like typically if we're going to do like live commentary on something like that, we have at least a couple of us. So like not one person has to be so talking. Yeah, and that's different. If you do like kind of like a live game watch, like there's a little bit more purpose behind that. And you're having like color, you know, you're really kind of like, having a conversation while the game is on, he will pause, pretend like he's doing the play-by-play -play instead of the like TV announcer. <laughs> like he'll have the game on mute and everything. But then he won't do, because it's also, it's a radio show. So there's no one else who's watching like this game at the same time. But then he won't do enough for you to actually follow what's going on. So it's just like a lot of dead air and you don't really know how the game is actually playing out. And they So I wouldn't... They're different. They just love him, though. They everybody just loves it. The other thing that he's really, really hung up on, Ben, that that makes me laugh every single time I hear this because he he never ceases to not bring this up. He's big into horse racing, and he is really big on the fact that all horse like racing horses have the same birthday. Like for racing purposes, they're all said to be born in March, no matter what. And this is just like a point that he seems to feel necessary to drive home often and just hammer it every single time he does i don't know why i don't know why that's such a hang-up so, of his but i've heard it many times before so clarity is he like angry that they're all making up the horse birthday no, or he's, is he like hey i just want you to know this horse was born march 13th it, like it's every more every other horse ever it's more that he's angry that people don't know that and it's really? like, why would, why would you be upset by other people not knowing I don't know. that all rare, all race horses share a fake birthday? I mean, like, what a stupid piece of trivia. <laughs> I mean, the guy just read down a schedule straight down the line. And, you know, he, he does that every every single season with every single team, because I've heard him doing it for other like plenty of others, too. Well, and that's where I wish I was more musically talented, because if any of our listeners want to take that that audio clip and like put in some lo-fi music under it and then like like it could be mike and the mad dogs and chill or something like lo-fi him reading the schedule and then there's like an instrument break and you think he's gonna do it something else but then he does like oh that was the mets now it's time for the yankees so is that like one of our old ad reads that we put the music behind and like that kind of thing i'm, I'm thinking something a little different but we'll, okay. we'll workshop it out all right all right, we'll work on it. That sounds good. That's Mike Francesa talk. We'll bring more clips for you, Ben, because he's an absolute treasure.
Ben, why don't you take us out of here? Absolutely. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to check us out. We are at sensiblyloud.com. Plus, we are all over your social media, and we're not going to tell you to storm the U.S. Capitol. So by all means, we're pretty, pretty clear in our convictions. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. That helps us out. Rest in peace, Tommy Lasorda. We'll talk about you sometime soon. Huge props to J-Mac for producing this and every other episode. And big, big we love you. Thank you to Jimmy Midtown for popping on the show and giving us any ex- any excuse to hear that amazing theme music, but also get to visit with you. Justin? Jimmy, Ben, thank you for joining us. We'd like to thank everyone for tuning in for the episode of the Outfielder Podcast. We'd like to thank all of our fans, Sensibly Loud Media, our sponsors, and those with the sharp eye to keep the runners close. Grounds crew, please keep patrolling that outfield. Big ups to Kevin Towers and Tommy Lasorda. Don't text and drive. We'll see you right back here next time on the Outfielder Podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah.